Well, good morning and welcome to another day at Involve on site. Uh, I have to admit, I really have enjoyed this one. Uh, we got to drive in the car for a few hours and see some beautiful scenery. Some of the things that God has done and created, it's just, it's amazing to look out and see. And so I'm standing here above the Snake River. The Snake River travels a little over a thousand miles from the time it leaves Yellowstone National Park to the time it dumps into the Columbia River there uh, near the Tri-Cities area. It winds through much of Idaho and where I'm standing here, where we are divided on one side, you can see Oregon and I'm standing on the Idaho side right now. So you may have guessed already, but I am in uh, Hell's Canyon. That's what it's called, and it's called that because when the settlers first came across and explorers first came across, they would go through this area on boat, and it was, well, to put it, uh, as they said, it was like going through hell. It was very uh, treacherous, uh, the rugged landscape. A lot of the, the places of the river was, was going over rugged rocks and so forth. So it was a place that, that many did not want to explore. And so that's how it got the name Hell's Canyon. Well, there's some other interesting facts about Hell's Canyon. And the one I really wanted to, to draw attention to is the fact that Hell's Canyon is the deepest canyon in the, on the North American continent. That's right, the deepest canyon on the North American continent. It's right here in our backyard. Now, some of you might think, what about Grand Canyon? And sure, certainly, if you go to the Grand Canyon, it's a, it's a magnificent site and another place that God has created that's just beautiful. And the Grand Canyon has some, some sheer edges, some uh, cliffs around it that make it appear as though it might be deeper. But in fact, the highest point of the canyon here for Snake River is about 2,000 feet higher uh, in difference from the river bottom than the Grand Canyon. So there's about a, a, an 8,000 feet difference between the river and the highest peak known as He Devil, which is part of the Seven Devils Peak here at Hell's Canyon. Beautiful place, as you can see behind me in the landscape. And you may be wondering, well, why pick Hell's Canyon? So I'll tell you, as we move forward into Romans chapter seven, we're gonna be going over an area in scripture that's gonna challenge us to go deep. We're gonna to have to look at ourselves and ask some really tough questions. So I'll read to you our big idea for the day. Here's what it says. Be honest about the depth of your sinfulness and you'll find even deeper peace. You see, as I've grown in my faith and I've looked at scripture and, and I've, I've pursued Christ even more, I've come to realize that the more I understand the depth of my sin, the more I appreciate and understand the depth of God's grace. We're gonna be dealing with some harsh realities as we go through this passage here today. And I want you to know as we deal with them and as we point out the very fact that we are sinful people, we need to hold on to the fact that Christ saved us. We're sinful and yet being a patient, gracious, compassionate, loving, kind God, he chose to save us in the midst of all that sin. So last week, as Luke preached through the previous verses, he walked through and talked about death 
and sin and law and how some of those things related to each other. We're going to continue through that because he's dealing with the same thing here. And he's, he's reminding us once again that the law demonstrated, well, how sin has kind of a, a personality of its own and it grows in us. And it's interesting. So, so as he's, he's talking through this, I think there are a lot of questions in people's minds and Paul anticipates it. That's why he says in verse 13, therefore did what is good become death to me? People might've been asking that. Well, wait a minute, Paul, it was, it was something good, right? The law was created and it was something good. Why are you talking about it like it's, it's so bad? He says, absolutely not. Don't get me wrong, the, the, the law, what was good was not, was not bad. On the contrary, sin, and here's the most important part. Remember, sin kind of has its own personality, right? Sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me. Sin is the culprit. Sin is the problem. So you may actually ask the question at this point, which he doesn't address, but the question is, what is sin? And you can get rather complex in this answer. But I'm going to go back just to two commands that Jesus gave when he walked on the earth. He said, we need to, one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And two, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. When we start to walk away from either of those commands, we're walking towards sin. When our focus is anything but God and anything but about loving other people, then we start to focus on ourselves. And when we start to focus on ourselves, then we focus on what we want. And as we're focusing on what we want, that's when we start to rebel and do the things that are opposing to God. Now that's hard to swallow, especially in a day and age where so much of what we're told is about me. We need to love ourselves. We need to care for ourselves. We're numero uno, we're number one. We're supposed to take care of us and then take care of others, right? But it's interesting when you study Christ and when you see him go all the way to the cross, why did he do it? One, because God the Father, his Father, asked him to and Christ volunteered to. And two, he did it because he loves us. And he is the example that we follow. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Master. And He has said to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we follow that example, and we see that example lived out in Him. So what is sin? I would just simply say, sin is when we rebel against God's commands, God's desire, God's design for our hearts, which is to love Him and love others. Sin. In order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Sinful beyond measure. How does this work? So as a dad, I get asked questions sometimes about being a, being a parent. And I have a few things over the years that I've, I've told people and have come to realize I think are helpful. And one of the things that I, I do think is helpful is understanding that when our children are born, they have a sin nature, just like you and I. I do not anticipate that my children are going to be perfect. In fact, I anticipate that my children are gonna be less than perfect. 
And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is because I know I am not perfect. You see, I believe and I know that my children are going to lie to me. I know that when they get in trouble, they're going to tell their side of the story and they're probably going to twist that side of the story in their favor. Why? Because we do the same thing. I know that my kids are going to be tempted with this world. And I know that while I have, in fact, you got to see uh, our fifth one today be baptized, which was awesome. But I also know that while they've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, they also are going to be torn in this world. And they're going to want to follow the passions of the world, the desires of the world. And they're going to be tempted to do that. Why? Well, again, because they have a sinful flesh, a sinful desire, just like I do. And so as I talk with my children and as I try to raise them, I show them how I handle my sinful desires and I try to coach them and talk with them and and walk walk through this life with them helping them understand that yes you have these desires and passions to do what the world wants you to do but you also have the Holy Spirit in you and that Holy Spirit is calling you to do what God wants him to do God wants you to do I think that's a big help for me as a dad in helping my children grow in this crazy mixed-up world Sin has a way of working around the rules, right? And when you think about it, sin has a way of knowing what the rule is and then figuring out how can I do everything on the checklist and then kind of go around it so that I can actually get what I want. And that, I think, is what Paul is talking about here. When he says it becomes sinful beyond measure, he's realizing that like all the other Pharisees and the scribes that he grew up with, they had learned to master the law and yet still not follow God. They look great on the outside and Jesus comes onto the scene and he talks to them and he says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look fantastic on the outside, but on the inside, you guys are spiritually dying. He knew what that was like, and he knew what it's like to be a hypocrite, and he knows what it's like to put on a show. And so I relate that back to being a dad because I know personally what it's like to put on a show. I know for my kids what it's like to put on a show at home. And it's not that I think poorly of my children. It's not that I think that they're going to be out there messing up in the world. It's just that I know how strong the flesh is. And I know how strong this world is. And Paul knew that too. So he saw how sin would become sinful beyond measure. Well, I want to demonstrate that to you by taking you back to the ITC, our training center, and walk through this by drawing it out. So follow me over there, all right? Well, here we are back at the ITC, and I wanted to draw this out because I think it'll be helpful for us to see it uh, maybe drawn uh, on, on our whiteboard here behind us. So let me read the passage. Uh, I'll be honest with you, as I read it, it's a little confusing. So that's why I want to draw out for you. And hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. So starting with verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So, if you're confused, I get it, I understand. It's not an easy passage to talk through. Sometimes you're like, Paul could have probably made this a little simpler, but I think he does in the next verse, and it kind of brings it up for us or wraps it up for us. So here's what I want to do. First, I'll draw us, okay? Um, I don't have Abe here with me, uh, but I will just do a person. I'll even give him a little smiley face for us. We're going to uh, see that in this text, we're talking about how the man or woman is made of spirit and flesh. And here, in, in some, break it up even more, the man can be made up three parts, two parts. There's a whole debate that goes behind it. For this, uh, this illustration, we're going to make it simple and just break it up into the spirit and the flesh. When we are born again, when we place our faith into Jesus Christ, our spirit is reborn into a new life. We have a new relationship with God the Father that is all through Christ, not through our own works, simply through Him. The flesh, however, has not been reborn. It will be glorified Right now, it's being sanctified, becoming more like or more mature, but it'll be glorified later, either when we die physically here on this earth or when Christ returns and we are caught up together with him. At that point, our flesh is mature, but right now our flesh is growing and hopefully becoming more Christ-like, which is what we'll read about when we get to Romans chapter 12, when it talks about how we're going to be renewing our mind and being transformed to be more like Christ. So we have this at work within us. We have the spirit and we have the flesh. And then we have God and we're going to draw the world. The spirit, because it's been renewed, keeps this relationship with God. And it's hungry for a relationship with God. It's eager, it wants, it's passionate, it pursues that relationship with God. It's been reborn, it's been reestablished with God. The flesh, on the other hand, is still wanting, well, it still wants to, to do what it wants to do. It still wants to be worldly. It still wants to keep up with the Joneses. It still wants to give in to its desires and its, its own wants and so forth. And so you've got, what Paul's talking about is, is this, this tension going on between us. Well, then you've got in here, and he throws in another kind of personality, if you will, in here, and it's, it's sin. And what I think he's describing in this picture is that sin is, is trying to, in our reborn state, okay, this is for a believer, someone who's already placed their faith in Jesus Christ, sin that goes to work with the, in us, and it says, hey, why don't you try to figure out how to keep your spirit intact with God and also keep the flesh intact with the world? 
And that's where we start to have tension. Well, in the Old Testament, they were given the law, and the law was there to say, well, you have a, a unique relationship in the Old Testament with God through the different decrees that God had given at times to different people. And as he did, he also gave law, and law was there. And I'm trying to, I'll try to uh, show this here. Let's do law, and uh, I'll do, how about an I? Okay. Not a very good artist, as you might see. So law was, was given so that we could see sin. And we could identify sin. That sin was trying to um, help us or cause us to follow the way of the world rather than following God. That's, that was the purpose of the law. So as time goes by, now Christ comes to the scene. And what he's done is he's... He's, over, he's fulfilled the law. He's become the law for us. And so now he has connected us to God, but our flesh is still wanting and desiring the world. Well, as, as we grow in our faith, in our understanding, and as we grow in maturity, we hopefully, if you were to put this, I don't know, on a, on a line down here, and let's say you're, you're born uh, into Christ and his family, and, and let's say you're just kind of there in the middle. Hopefully, you're, you're being matured in your faith and growing to be more like Christ. So the Spirit is, is helping you move, and the flesh is being removed more and more as time goes by. But the reality is the flesh is still very strong. And it's just kind of the example I gave you at the beginning, earlier. With my kids, I understand that the flesh is really strong. It's not that I think that they're terrible people. It's just the reality that the flesh, the flesh is strong. Well, God knows that's true in our lives as well. And it's the reason why he's so gracious to us, because he knows how, how strong that flesh is. So what Paul realizes in verse 21, he says this, I discover this law when I want to do good, or what is good, and, and follow God, evil, the flesh, is right there present with me. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So this is the reason why I wanted to start today's message at Hell's Canyon, to look at the depth of our sin. The reality is, even when we want to do what's right, even when our intentions may look really good and it looks like we're we're following god and we're doing what he asks us to do to love the lord our god with all of our heart soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. there's always this this presence of sin in our life and the flesh and what the flesh wants so i thought the best way to do this is just to give you some practical examples of how this works these are good intentions mixed with sin and it comes off of verse 21 i discover this law when i want to do what is good evil is present with me here's some things uh, that i think draw this 
out for us. Let me give you four examples. In life, loving others is a good thing, right? I mean, it's a command after all. So you help a friend, okay? You open your home, maybe you lend some money, you feed them, you have long conversations into the night, they just go on and on, but they never show appreciation. After a while, in that case, our flesh gets hurt. Bitterness sets in, and you start finding yourself complaining, maybe even gossiping, and ultimately wanting the relationship to end. Love, which is supposed to be unconditional, just like Christ's love for us, found its condition. Good intentions. But when our flesh starts to get hurt, we don't get our way, we don't get the love reciprocated back to us, well then, we might be hurt. And we find out our flesh is really strong. Well, how about this one? in marriage. I, I made my vows uh, a little over 20 years ago to love, honor, and cherish Rebecca for better or worse in sickness and in health till death do us part. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, after all, God established uh, marriage and what it's, what it's supposed to look like. So why do I have times in my marriage where I feel like the people I give counsel to. The ones that come in and say, if only they would change, and of course pointing to the person they're married to. Um, like the problem is always, always someone else's. My flesh is far more interested in being loved by Rebecca than it is to love her. That's just the reality of the flesh. You, you, you jump into a relationship and you think, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be great. And, and trust me, the marriage is great. I love being married. But as you go into the relationship and as time goes by, I think you begin to realize, I'm in this more for me than I am for the person I married. That's a harsh reality. You know what? I'm still learning how to overcome the flesh in my marriage. Uh, they talk about a honeymoon period, and then you get past the honeymoon period and move forward. And, and I think there is some, some truth to that. And at some point, uh, people need to, to kind of move past and realize that this is a relationship that you're working on and growing together in. And you have to realize that you're not in for yourself. And the strong marriages, the great marriages, and the marriage I want is the kind of marriage where I'm thinking so much more of the person I'm married to I'm thinking so much more of Rebecca than I am thinking about her and how she cares for me. I want to be caring for her needs and loving her needs, but I have this flesh that is far more interested in how she treats me. How about the workplace? You like working in teams, right? I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Everybody's talking about teams, sharing ideas, plans, things like that. Uh, in a lot of organizations that's happening. But what happens when someone has an idea that you don't like? Or what happens when you have an idea and other people don't like it? All of a sudden this great idea of what teams are supposed to look like become a bit of a problem for your flesh. 
And what looks like a great idea, and what sounds like a great idea, and what is a great idea, I think God loves collaboration. I think the fact that there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the three are working together is a great example of how we're supposed to work together. But I also know there's a flesh in us, and the flesh desires itself to be happy all the time, and to get its way, and to think that it's right. And when somebody else thinks, I'm wrong, or when somebody else's idea is better than mine, I get jealous. Or there's a whole list of feelings and thoughts and hurts and so forth. That's the flesh. Good intention. Let's all work together until the flesh gets hurt. Well, how about the church? Let's pick on the church a little bit, right? Involve church. Okay, we exist. We exist to involve people in the life of Christ and involve Christ in the lives of people. And I think involved church is a great church. But there are thousands of churches across this world. And each church is doing, well, as it, as it believes it should, to honor and glorify and serve God. But we get kind of competitive at times, don't we? And if somebody comes up and says, I'm going to leave involved and go over here to this church, my feelings get hurt, maybe your feelings get hurt, and then there starts to be a little bit of competition, and we start to think, hey, how come they're leaving? And, and then we think, oh, you're going to that church? Oh, you should come to our church, because involved church is better than that church. And there begins to be this, well, competition. That's not the way God's church is supposed to be. But it's the way our flesh acts. I think it's great to plant churches. I think we should be planting churches. But let's not, be, uh, let's not be jealous. Let's not be competitive about it. Let's be praising God if, if we see more people come to Christ. Well, that's just four examples. Pretty, pretty discouraging, <laughs> I, wouldn't you say? As time goes by, I see just how strong my flesh is. It's a constant struggle to say no to me and yes to Jesus. But that's what a disciple of Jesus does. See, we are asked by God to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And when we mess up, we try again. We have not lost our relationship with God and we do not need to make it up to him. We just need to learn to get past our sin and not do it again. We just need to grow. We need to become more mature. More mature. So if you look at your life and you see the sin that's in it and you realize wow today maybe more than before god has revealed some things in you that you didn't see i don't want you to be so discouraged and depressed that you you your relationship with god is hurt it should be actually just the opposite because you see when you understand the depth of your sin then you understand how incredibly great God's grace is. And the deeper you understand your sin, the deeper you have peace. And that's what this portion is about. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, we're going to take a look at it tomorrow. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. But we have to understand how bad our sin is. So we can understand how great His grace is.
and that gives us even a greater peace. Let's take a look at the end of this passage here. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. This is Paul talking. To Timothy, he wrote a letter to him. He said, Timothy, I'm the worst of all sinners. He writes a letter to the, to the Romans. He says, Romans, I am a wretched man. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. He once again, he realizes I have the spirit that is serving God, but my flesh is serving sin. I have this tension. I'm wretched. I am a sinner. I am a great sinner, but I know this, that Jesus Christ has saved me. Thanks be to God for that. You see, as we grow in our faith of Jesus Christ, I don't think, I don't think we go, man, I'm less of a sinner. I think as we grow in our faith, we realize how Sin impacts almost every part of our life. And even the good intentions we have, we begin to understand, wow, there's some selfish, fleshly desire there. Thanks be to God that he is so gracious to love me through that. Now, when he does reveal it to us, I don't think we just shrug it off and say, meh, that's all right, that's why Jesus died. When he reveals to us our sin, when he points out in our marriage where we're sinning, when he points out in our workplace where we're sinning, when he points out in life where we are sinning, he does that so we can grow and identify it and say, I need to, to grow past that. If there's jealousy there, if there's anger there, if there's bitterness there, if there's a desire to rise to the top and there's arrogance and there's pride there, we need to set those things aside because it's not Christ-like. And our goal is to be more like Christ. We're gonna go back to Hell's Canyon to give you the final application for today. So let's go back there. So you may feel and you may have realized just how sinful you are today, but I also hope you realize and understand how amazing God's peace is. That you and I, wretched and sinners like we are, God's grace and mercy and gentleness and peace is so awesome, is so great, is so wonderful that it brings us up to Him. He doesn't come down to us. He brings us up. He already did that. He died on the cross. He took the sins of the world. He already went down so that then He could bring us both up together. And now we're in a relationship with Him. Now we're at peace with Him. Now we're at peace with God our Father. Man, get up and celebrate. Woohoo! That's good news. That's great news. I'll give you a couple application points as we close off today. So you can be thinking about these. Here they are. Think through some of the greatest things you have ever done. Was sin present? Now, celebrate the fact that God still loves you. When we're faced with the harsh reality, there's there's always some sort of motive for ourselves in the midst of it. And yet God still loves us. God still uses us. God still wants us to pursue him, love him, follow him, have a relationship with him. So celebrate that. God loves you. Number two, commit to two ways you can brag about your savior this week. Maybe a social media post, 
Maybe it's a bumper sticker, I don't know, a shirt, a talk with a neighbor or a friend or something like that. What are some different ways you can brag about God this week and what he's done for you? We ought to be out there telling people. Because how awesome is it that God loves us that much and forgives us that much? And even though there's such a huge separation between how holy God is and how sinful we are, Christ brings us up with his righteousness and gives us a, a life with him. Don't forget that. Celebrate your life with Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. And he has given you eternal life in him.